0: Right now, Thomas Burns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happens. It happens.
2: fight fans another episode of legendary night for me your host sean basto shortly to be joined as always by johnston brown to break down this latest episode of the series and it's been picked by me this time we've done lots of votes over the past 20 weeks or so and this time i've decided why not let's pick one ourselves as the host let's go for one that we haven't even really considered or thought about or the significance of and this week we came up with Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeling. The tale of both of them fights. But before we get into this episode, of course, I want you to come and follow us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook. And if you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify any good available podcasting app we are on there go and find us search btr boxing podcast and you'll find the feed so this has been picked by myself it's a fight that i really wanted to talk about for a while more so the historical significance of what this fight meant so this is the tale of joe lewis versus max schmeling
0: now let us talk
2: about the round banner. Tell the nation a story, let us talk about the Brown banner. Joe Lewis was a fighting man. Well, this is the tale of Joe John Lewis versus Max Melly. Both fights, we're going to do both fights in this episode of Legendary Nights. So much so that I've really done a lot of research for this one and watched a couple of good documentaries about it in the lead up to it and I'm really excited to be, to be talking about it. And obviously, as I was just saying, introducing the show, Johnston, we decided to, to do a pick each and obviously this is my pick now for this Legendary Nights nice episode, you've got your own coming up but this was one particular fight where I felt like it wasn't so much about the fights themselves for me, it was more about the political significance you had in, in, in a world and in an era of time where you had obviously fascism and conu- communism on the rise obviously in Germany with the Nazi party and the sort of the way they used Max Schmeling as a pawn and the, the way they put these two guys up as the, the worst. Of enemies, but they ended up becoming the best of friends after all of it.
1: Yeah, I have to say, it's a, it's a great picture, and it really is. And it's just been a pleasure going back and sort of watching the documentaries and, and, and both fights and you know, other fights that they've had. And, and it really is just it's more than just a fight, this is so much more than a fight, it's, it's more than a sporting occasion. You know, this is these are two nations, two completely different ideologies up against one another. And as you say, you know, smelling being used as the Nazi and and Joe Lewis being the black American with a whole nation behind him. And and it is just, you know, there is one particular documentary that, you know, anyone can find on YouTube, but it is brilliant and it is an excellent watch and and one that really, you know, it's almost quite, you know, just just the whole thing, What listening to to the build-up and and, uh, obviously we'll go through it, but it is just uh, fascinating. It really is amazing how these two guys were perceived, and in actual fact, they were actually, you know, two lovely fellas that ended up becoming really good friends. Which, which always, you know, we don't don't always see a happy ending and a happy fairy tale at the end, but um, it it really is, and it was just a, a a great legendary night, great pick, mate.
2: So as always, we'll cover the legendary night off by going into the build up the fight breakdown and the aftermath but we'll also be covering off the first fight and everything leading into the first and the second fights of course because obviously this is a a historical night and I think we've got to give it justice really given the significance of this particular fight and there's not a lot of legendary nights episodes where we've done that are this old you know this is the oldest one we've done in terms of historical chronological time periods obviously we're talking about the 1930s here and I think the, the, the next one after that we're probably looking in uh, the the 1970s with with obviously the the rumble in the jungle and the, the thriller in manila and i think other than that this is the oldest one we've ever done so i'm really really looking forward to to breaking this one down and that documentary for anybody that does want to go and watch it there's two out there that i would suggest going and watching first of all you've got the one that was done by pbs a few years ago in america called the fight joe lewis versus max schmeling and then you've got another one which is joe lewis uh, america's hero betrayed which is obviously more about joe lewis but it, it does give you a good insight into the schmeling before and aftermath so Let's go into it then. Let's talk a little bit about obviously the lead up to to the first fight and how it all came about, really. Because for Joe Lewis obviously he's well documented. Uh, he's one of the greatest heavyweights in boxing history, and, and one of my favourites to watch. And, and 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 some of the stuff he did throughout his career. He was a it was a fight that went on too long, of course, but significant in in what he brought to boxing and. For the lead-up for this fight, he actually did a lot leading up to the Schmelian fight. So he actually turned pro in 1934. So that was his first sort of outing as a professional. And as he went through the course of his career over the next couple of years he was just picking up significant victories mainly KO victories across the course of his career and I think one of the big significant fights in the lead up to the Schmeling fire was in 1935 against Primo Carrena who I think who was an absolute giant of his time and there's a really good famous picture out there where you see Joe Lewis's sparring partners and you'll see Joe Lewis and sort of the height difference between him and his sparring partners and Primo Carrera was that one of them sparring partners but they did face off and they actually build this fight as quite a significant fight because of uh, the giant of a man carrera was
0: miami florida primo carnero world's heavyweight champion poses with his manager so the huge italian beat tommy Logren. what do you think of Logren, primo well i think uh i think uh, i put up a fight and the special he was the logical contender <laughs> And uh, because he proved himself, a bit Bear, he bit Sharky, he beat Lewinsky, he beat everybody. And uh, he has, I thought he was a legal le- le- contender. So he's not a, he's not a good uh, uh, fighter, but he's a really wonderful boxer. And a very clever boxer. And uh, me, I learned lots of things last night. And I'm ready to fight uh, him again, because I, if I fight him again, I know I can learn lots of things more. And uh, I'm ready to fight anybody else. Else,
2: anytime, but you only look back into the to the history of the heavyweight division and there's a few sort of unsung I wouldn't say heroes, but a few sort of unsung and underrated guys that were out there. And Carrera was one of them mainly because of, of what he brought to, to to an era of heavyweights who were, were quite small at the time.
1: Yeah, they weren't as big as he was. Um, he was well over £200 and he was a big fan. I mean, I think the problem with, with, with Promo Carrera was the fact that he had sort of relations with the mob, and, and some people actually still say to this day that he won the world title back in 1933 because of that but yeah i mean it, 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 this is this is this is the era. this is this is the sort of stuff it sort of pops up with these fights but you know he was he was better than i think most people perceive him to be um and it was a big fight for joe um it was his first fight in new york um obviously he had uh there was there was a couple of guys It was Roxburgh um who manager and julian black That's john Roxburgh and julian Brack who actually scouted joe lewis um and it was those two guys that ended up getting in Jack Chappie, Blackburn, he was an old fighter in the old days, elite lightweight, top of, you know, he fought some of the very best as in, you know, Joe Gansan and Sam Langford. But because of the colour of his skin, he wasn't able to, to ever get a title shot, which was basically the era. That was that was what these guys had to go through. And um, and Joe Lewis was no different. He had these sort of three guys behind him who believed that he could go on to win a world title. But the, the problem always would be is will he get his opportunity? Um, uh, Madison Square Garden was the mecca of boxing in, Ameri- in America in general. There was no Vegas, there was no Atlantic City. Uh, you had an MSG promotion company, a consortium who, which I believe was run by uh, Jimmy Johnson, who was quite clearly a racist. He, he, um, he wasn't interested in sort of Joe Lewis because of, because he was black. But there was a certain guy called uh, Mike Jacobs. He was called Uncle Mike. And he actually won his own company. It was uh, the 20th century sporting company, I believe. It was him and he was the founder of it with three other writers for the Hearst. I think I think they were part of the Hearst uh, newspaper chain, which was a big newspaper at the time. At the end of the day, uh, to cut a story short, Uncle Mike, he picked up Joe Lewis and this was the big fight for, to, 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 to basically showcase Joe Lewis. And as I say, it was in New York, in, in uh, the Yankee Stadium in New York and and he, 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 produced the goods and, and Joe Lewis stopped for open in trust
2: was only 21 years of age at the time as well he'd won 19 with 15 ko's going into that particular fight with canera so it was a big statement for him to do that at such a young age and so much so that this would eventually lead on not but a fight or so later into another significant fight of his career which was the max bayer fight Now the max bayer fight was very significant because at this point max bayer uh, was obviously well known in the boxing scene in the heavyweight division and he'd actually knocked out Schmeling a couple of years earlier which i found quite interesting when looking back at that so obviously when you look at Schmeling's career which we will do so in the build-up to this particular first fight and second fight you know the the victory for for Max Bayer over Max Schmeling meant a lot because obviously then you get Max Bayer coming in there against Joe Lewis and Joe Lewis being the underdog and Joe Lewis being the guy that obviously this was this was probably his biggest test leading up Max Schmeling, I mean that's that's my opinion I mean you, you, yes. you can have an opinion on that and people may say differently but I do genuinely believe the Max Beyer fight was a big significant fight and it was, the mass, it was a massive coming out party for him because there you are going in against a guy who'd be a former world champion himself and yet he was able then to go in there and knock out Max Bayer and do it in emphatic fashion and really set himself up as one of the great heavyweights of that era before leading into the big fight and for me it was one of the most significant fights uh, in boxing history not just in, in boxing in general but in boxing history people look back on Joe Lewis's career and they think about some of the notable names he fought in his prime we've got to remember when he fought Max Bayer again he was only 21 years of age and at this point he'd had 21 fights with 17 knockouts and yet he went in there and stopped him within four rounds
1: and he, I'm, I'm with you I mean you look at sort of the uh, 21 fights before that obviously the Primo Canera fight is the one but you know he was he was set up to be beaten um, Joe Lewis was as you say still a baby and the Max Bear fight was was a huge win for him and to do four rounds as emphatically as he did was brilliant and I mean even uh, I've got a quote from uh, from Blackburn and he did say to Lewis that you know the one thing he needs is you need to make sure your right hand is the referee. Uh, being a, a black heavyweight, you know, if he goes to the scorecard, there's a strong opportunity. You're not going to get the decision. Um, and he made 100% sure in every fight um, that he had that he was flooring them. I mean, Joe Lewis fought an average once every fortnight in his first 23 victories as a professional with 20 of them coming in way of knockout, um, and it was that sort of form that got him noticed, and, and um, you know, he was one of the most entertaining heavyweights, and he'd become an overnight star after the Canera fight, and in the Bear fight, made him even more of a star, um, obviously, and we was leading into to the first Max fight, with, you know, he got two victories, again, two KO victories, against uh, a couple of guys that, you know, they were decent fights, nothing, nothing of note, really, cut the layups in hope that, you know, to to, to to for the Maximilian fight, which who who they also thought was going to be a bit of a layup, because obviously the champion at the time was Cinderella man himself, uh, James J. Broderick.
2: Before we go into this particular first fight, I think we need to sort of set a bit of context to the scene of, of, of the things that were going on at, a t- at the time around the, the United States and the world, really. I think, Jack Johnson, the original heavyweight, the first African-American to win the world heavyweight title in boxing history, this was a man that was the complete opposite of what Joe Lewis was pictured out to be. It was like what Jack Johnson had done throughout his career, inside and outside of the ring, led a lot of people to say, right, if we're going to have anybody who's ever going to be a black heavyweight champion again, they're going to go completely against the grain of what Jack Johnson was, and they're they're basically going to be... Uh, a, a black guy, but act like a white guy, and that's way the way they was training him up in the, in the media and his persona was to 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 put him in that in that sort of lighten that perspective you know he's the good he's the good, the good black heavyweight guy he's the good black heavyweight future champion and that was the way they were trying to sell him out to the public and to the media because obviously you've got to remember there's so much racial segregation going on at this period of time it's unbelievable and this would go on for what another 30 40 50 60 years I mean still it even happens today let's be honest it still happens in yeah. America today but it wasn't nowhere near as bad as what it was back then so they were putting him out there as this guy who's you know the next black heavyweight potential champion but he's got all the sort of ideologies of, of, of what they seem to be this superior race which you know, he's not the case of course, but it is what it is and that's what they did to him at the time, so putting that into context they were putting him in there uh, against Max Schmelly. now Max Schmelling going into this first fight with Joe Lewis had, had a different career of course obviously he was German, he came from a completely different background, he spoke really really clear English, great English in fact, when you look back on some of the interviews, he had to start his career in 1924, so he'd started it 10 years prior to the arrival of Joe Lewis on the scene and had a bit of a mixed career leading up to this particular fight but did go on a fantastic run winning the european light like, heavyweight title before he moved into the heavyweight division involved in fights in 1930 with jack sharkey obviously losing to max beyer in 1933 and it was interesting at this period of time that was where we get into the political conversation obviously he he had multiple fights throughout germany he had multiple fighters throughout the world they brought him over to america but the political side of things was whilst all this was going on and the rise of joe lewis was happening in america in germany was the rise of a political party known obviously as as the nazis which you know it speaks for itself i don't need to completely go into you know a deep dive into what happened there because i think it's public knowledge and common knowledge for most people that would listen to this podcast of of how everything went down in, in history but the rise of the nazi party was something that was was quite prominent and for max schmeling he was sent over to america to be the basically the spokesperson for this party even though he was never proclaimed as a, a part of that particular party he was sort of sent over to america as cannon fodder to basically say nothing's going nothing's going wrong in Germany the Nazi party are great there's nothing, no bad things happening whereas in reality there were a lot of bad things happening in Germany and because obviously technology was a lot different and, and, and completely to what we, different to what we have today you didn't really hear about or see about what's going on if this was 2019 and you had a party like that going around you'd see things going on social media constantly all the time viral but you didn't get that you only had sort of pictures in newspapers and and word of mouth really about what was coming through and what was happening over there so schmeling was sent over to america to sort of be the spokesperson for them to basically say there's actually nothing wrong and there's nothing going wrong in germany and everything's fine and the nazi party are, are, you know essentially great even though he wasn't and always proclaimed he wasn't part of them It was like his hands were always tied he was like he was basically saying if you don't go over and do this you know you're probably not going to be seen or heard from again
1: yeah, and and that's, that's that was that was the case with Schmelz. I mean, he was, a, he was he was a Nazi puppet. You know, he he fought his way. I mean, originally, I mean, he, he become a star in Berlin um, when he sort of fought his way, as you say, to the European title. And Berlin at the time, sort of in the twenties, sort of late 20s, it wasn't it wasn't um, a place, It was it was, an, it was an exhilarating place. It was a place where you wouldn't think Berlin w- would have been sort of where it ended up, how it ended up becoming. It was you know, he was a bit of a you know he's a bit of a star out there, and in Germany, as a whole. Before he moved over to America, and when he moved over to America, obviously he got himself a new promoter in, in Joe Jacobs, who's actually had a, a Jewish heritage as well. So, um, obviously, as you say, he did he did fight for the world title, he won it in the famous Low Blow fight. Um, he become the Low Blow champion, and when he came back to Germany, in actual fact, he was laughed at because obviously, you know, he had he had gone down and stayed down. I think Joe Jacobs actually ran into the ring as well to told him stay down, stay down, and then. He was the first heavyweight champion to win that title by disqualification as well.
0: In his last fight, 11 months ago, Mack took a 15-round decision from Tough by Lino Eskodon in New York City. Sharky to the right of your screen. Jack Sharkey against the deadly right hand counterpuncher, Max Schmeling. Now watch as Schmeling moves in on Sharkey against the ropes. Sharkey attempts to counter with a fall to left of the body. The punch is low and Schmeling goes down like a tree. Schmeling is claiming foul. His handlers help Max to his corner. The referee is confused. No one seems to know what happened. Sharkey goes over to see if Schmeling is all right. Schmeling's corner cornerman keeps shouting that their man wins it on a foul.
1: So yeah, he came back with with many sort of discrediting the win really, um, and obviously he ended up going back and getting a rematch. He got beat, but it was controversial. When he got beat, he came back to a hero's welcome. They had a parade, and you know the Nazi party jumped on that, and they you know it's a controversial decision, and they they enjoyed the fact that you know it, it's a way of them using him from this point, and he was a star. So. As you say, he was used. I mean, he was summoned to before he went back to to America. He was actually summoned to to Hitler, and Hitler said to him, "You know, like if anyone asks anything about in terms of how german what what Germany are doing in terms of with, with the Jewish community, and you know, as you say, you don't need to go too much into what they were doing. Um, but he was told to tell the American press when he arrived, and literally the moment he arrived there off the boat, they were on him and they were saying to him, you know." Is this true? And he, he completely said, no, it's not. And that was one thing Hitler said to him. He said to him, you know, do say that. You know, and also, in you know, actual fact, he didn't say that if there's anything you ever need before, I'll help you out with that. So I think with, with, um, with Schmeling, though, he wasn't, he, as you say, he wasn't associated with a Nazi party. He didn't believe in the ideologies of it, but he did like to mingle with the rich and powerful. And that was from the point when he was in Berlin before he even shipped out, he was shipped out to America. You know he enjoyed that, and he was able to adapt into uh, any sort of social circles. He had that ability to do that, and um, and as you say, he was uh, he was a puppet for it. And um, I, I mean, the Max the Max Bear fight was the one where he was actually for the first time when he fought with America, he was booed because uh, obviously Max Bear had. He he wasn't, although he didn't preach the Jewish way in terms of the religion. His his father was Jewish and he wore a star on his shorts. so it was a big racial thing in terms of the Jewish against the Nazi American. And, and he got bashed up that night. Um, he he said he even said openly that he it got into his head and he didn't perform well. So there's the, all these added pressures. Obviously, we had the depression as well in America. It was like a big thing. Obviously, Jesus. I mean, it was it was a hard hard place to live. And um, yeah, so. So Max Schmeling was was basically used as a Nazi puppet going into uh, coming over to America and, and to, for their game really.
2: It certainly was. And in the lead up to this particular fight with Joe Lewis, you know, he'd, he'd obviously been seeing what Lewis was doing in the ring. He'd seen. What actions he was taking, you've seen how he was getting through his fights, and the one big thing that they asked him about in, you know, the the, the announcements of, of this fight taking place and the interviews to promote this particular fight, the first fight between Lewis and Schmelting, was the fact that reporters had said to him, you know, what have you seen in Joe Lewis that you think you can exploit, and there he's basically saying, I've se- I have seen things, but I ain't gonna tell, and it's like he was very confident that there was something there in in louis's defense that they'd seen that was flawed and that they were going to be able to exploit going into that first particular fight uh, max
0: do you think that joe will be able to hit you with that right hand he hit paulino with i won't get a chance <laughs> max what makes you think that uh, you can lick him well i saw him fight paulino i saw a picture of bear bear louis i think i have a big chance to compete him Have you plan this fight at all are uh, you going to walk in as you usually do or are you going to stay back and see what he's got first? such you know, I never made planes before. And I still think I had a big
2: chance, and I will beat him. And I think at this point in time, Officer Lewis is on this uh, you know, fantastic run and seemingly the unbeatable champion, uh, and uh, well, seemingly the unbeatable fighter at this point and, and potentially going to be going on to become the, the World Heavyweight Champion. This fight was basically being made so that the winner would go on to fight Jim Braddock, obviously the Cinderella man for the world title. He held the world title at that time, so this was like the number one contendership going into it. So this was a huge fight from that perspective as well. So obviously going into the, the Joe Lewis fight, of course, Schmeling had this sort of confidence about them that they could go in there and do something. And and you know when you look at the period of time that we're in, Schmeling's 30. He's had a bit of a mixed career, but he's 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 been on a good run as of recently. So they've put him in. With the opportunity to do it, he'd 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 been in 48 wins, seven losses, and four draws at this point in time before he got in the ring with Lewis. Whereas Lewis was 24 with no losses and 20 KOs in his record at the age of 22, so everything on paper points to a Joe Lewis win. But the fight itself was a a tale of, of something completely different. You know, Joe Lewis starts out as you would expect him to start out in this fight, aggressive getting them punches off, throwing them punches in, and, and, and sort of working his way in, as always, with the jab until a right hand landed from Max Here In round four, Schmelling, who previously
0: had stated that he saw weakness in the defence of the Brown Bomber, shoots a tremendous straight right hand to the jaw and with a flurry of punches, sends Lewis down for the first time in his professional career. Everyone knew there was power in the right hand of Schmelling, but no one believed that he could land it on the target.
1: Yes, and it did, and as you say, that you know he was he, did, he didn't openly uh, inform anybody what his game plan was. But what he did see in one of Lewis's fights, uh, I think I believe it may have even been the Max Bear fight, where Lewis would sort of throw a left jab, but rather than sort of tuck it into the chin, he would leave it exposed a bit. And um, you know, one thing about Max Mellon is is he was a counter puncher. He was you know he would hold his sort of hold his left hand out to try and feel his way and. And he would look to throw the right. I mean, you know, one thing we will always notice if anyone watches old boxing, the old black and white days, is the lateral movement isn't as good as what it is today. You know, saying that, these guys are chins. That's one thing I will say. They were getting smashed in the face constantly. Like you, you talk about the phone booth, Sean, I'll tell you, like that, that saying, didn't you? And, and many, many fights in this era were like in a phone booth. And and what, what Max Schmeling did see was an opening. And he just waited for Lewis to pull back that left hand and he'd count it with a right. And, you know, that fourth round, he counted in with a big right. It stunned Lewis to the core. He's literally sort of backed off, clearly hurt on a rubbery leg. And, and Schmeling just looked for the, went for the kill. He's friend left and right, left and right bombs. And to His to, to credit, he sort of steadied himself. But then uh, it was another solid right at the end that eventually put Lewis down on the seat of his pants in that fourth round.
2: So you go throughout the fight and there was repeated right hands landed on Joe Lewis and I can't remember the exact figure off the top of my head but I think it's something ridiculous like I'm going to have a bit of a guesstimate and say between 50 and 70 right right hands were landed on Joe Lewis's chin so much so that his face by the 12th round was completely puffed out on the left hand side where them right hands had been landing and you could visibly see the effects it was having on Joe Lewis at this point, and when it comes to the twelfth round of the fifteen-round fight that she was scheduled for, it was just no more. Joe Lewis couldn't take it any more. It's reported that his mum had to be taken out of the arena because she was so upset, visibly upset by what was happening in that fight, that she was sort of wailing in the crowd. So she had to be removed from the arena because obviously she was so distressed about what she was seeing. And then obviously eventually it got stopped in the 12th round. Joe Lewis getting put again on the seat of his pants. And it was, uh, at that time, it was probably one of the biggest upsets in in recent memory for boxing. We're going out of round 12. And in the seven previous rounds, the young Joe Lewis has been taking a terrible beating. Time after time, Schmelling
0: has landed with that straight right hand to the jaw. Only unbelievable courage and fantastic stamina has been able to sustain Lewis throughout the previous 11 rounds. But here in round 12, his fierce pride is almost working against him, for he's taking everything from Schmelling that any human being can be asked to absorb. Here in the late seconds of round 12, with tremendous right hand punches of the jaw, Schmelling finally knocks out the young Joe Lewis.
1: It really was because obviously you know Max Schmelly went into it. He came in as as the guy that was going to. It was a layup fight for the for the James J. Broderick fight uh, for Joe Lewis to finally become the first, would potentially become the first black champion since, since Jack Johnson, sort of two decades before. So, you know, it was a, a massive shock, um, and he was a completely a complete underdog uh, matchman, and then obviously he used the game plan masterfully, and as you say. Uh, easily 60-70 and that is an exaggeration and to be fair that's credit to lewis that he took him. um the one thing the actual fight that all the rounds are on youtube and i did sit down and watch it and i must say like you know lewis obviously was you know he was he was he, was, he upset the rhythm he was young and he, he looked bewildered by what smelling was doing but god you i was just all i kept thinking he was just pulled a left hand in. i didn't quite understand <laughs> What 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 the hell is uh Chappie, old Blackburn is, he must be telling him, just tuck that left hand in or I don't know, change your stance slightly. But I suppose, you know, it being the thirties, this is this is different. This is boxing developing, I suppose. It was you know, it wasn't like how it is today and I think I think that's one thing you've got to remember when you're watching it. But, you know, I think obviously yeah, Lewis right. learnt from it, but um yeah. <laughs> Goodness me, in the end, how anyone could take that man of right hands is, is beyond me. And, and credit to him, and it just shows you how much of a granite chin he had. But, yeah, in the end, it got, did get stopped in the 12th. And, and you know, the one thing with, with Joe, there was racial tensions in America. You know, he was obviously mentioned what was happening in Germany. But in terms of, in America itself, you know, that the black community re- adored Joe Lewis, and they backed him, and um, they were out on the streets partying when he won. And when he did lose his fight... You know, you you were seeing the documentaries and the fans that speak about it, and they were saying it was just nothing, you know, it was just dead. Everybody was just deflated, and they couldn't believe what they had just seen. In
2: 1936, there's no question that my father was more concerned about the golf course and training for Max Schmeling. His trainer, Jack Blackburn, said that the muscles that he was using for for golf are the wrong muscles for boxing. And uh, he just didn't mentally prepare for it, because... I'm quite certain that he felt that Max was eight years older, not as strong, didn't have the endurance, and the fact of the matter is Max had the greater will, and as a result in boxing, if you have the greater will, you can win.
1: Yeah, it really did. It hurt Joe, it hurt his fan. Yeah, it was just a shocking, shocking upset, and he actually got fired a year, I believe, in 1936 by Ring Magazine, and yeah, Max Mellon went back to uh, Germany as an absolute hero.
0: What were your reactions in the first three rounds of that fight? And that, after the second round, I was very sure I had him in my hand. Well, that's fine. Did you at any time feel that Lewis was a very dangerous fighter? Oh, yes. He was dangerous during the whole fight. Which of the punches that he landed did you consider the most dangerous? Well, he's a very good left-hander, and he used a very powerful right. Max, what was the punch with which you knocked out Joe Lewis? You want me to show you? Yes, try it. Oh boy, that's great. What do you think of Jimmy Braddock as an opponent? Uh, Jimmy is a very fine gentleman and a great fighter. I admire him very much.
2: He certainly did go back to Germany as an absolute hero and uh, so much so that (laughs) there's a a point where, uh, I watched it on the documentary and I I can't remember off the top of my head which fight it was, but there's a point where he he does return to Germany and he competes uh, in a fight in Germany where literally he goes and gets the victory and at the end of the fight you've got the whole arena who are Nazi supporters. All doing the Nazi salute, and what was more bewildering was that his manager, who obviously had Jewish descent or was of Jewish heritage, actually was stood in the middle of the ring, doing the Nazi sign as well, which I found absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> obviously he weren 't to know what was going to happen and, and persecution of those sort of Jewish people as well was going to happen you know ever so shortly after this period of time, but it was just unbelievable to sit back and watch that and think to himself. God if he only knew what was going to happen over the course of the next couple of years I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have been doing that but to see that guy doing that in the middle of the ring after one of the Max making fights I just I couldn't believe it I honestly sat there and I thought wow that's unbelievable
1: It really was really uh shocking I mean it was one of, in what in fact the biggest audience it was 26,000 and standing up actually with a cigar in his hand and the salute hand as well which apparently was uh the, the Nazis weren't ha- best pleased with that. So he basically, with that one moment that he decided to join in with whatever they were doing, he ended up getting it from, from the Nazis and also getting it from the Jewish community in America. So he was literally plastered across every paper. He ended up getting, coming over to America as well. And he got crucified for it. And uh, obviously, you know, this was sort of 19, what was it, 1933 or thirty-two? And, you know, although, you know, Rumours were surfacing what what Hitler was doing. Um, you know, it, I, I think the only thing he had done was was walked straight through Austria um, and taken over. But other than that, I don't think uh, you know no one quite understood what that sign was and what what it meant. So um, yeah, I, you know. It, with with how awful that salute is, it's is actually quite funny that you a know, Jewish guy's in there doing it, and it sort of does one finger up at them Nazi bastards, it?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a crazy story, really, when you think about it. Yeah. Like I say, I think it's one of them things where you you wouldn't have known what was going to happen in the following years to come. You know, given what he'd just probably seen it as this political party. Where they were basically trying to take over, sort of Germany, but they didn't realize what they were going to go on eventually to do. And about in a couple of years down the line, I bet he certainly regretted that moment, not just for, <laughs> for for that particular reason, but for obviously the the everlasting effects that that you know what that's led to and what that's sort of created in in, in history. But going back onto the boxing side of things. The victory for Max Schmelian meant that he was to fight for the world heavyweight title against Jim Braddock at this point. But and again, in a strange turn of events, that wasn't gonna turn out to be the case. Obviously, there was a couple both, both Joe Lewis and Mike Schmeling did have a few more fights before they eventually got in for the rematch. But the Jim Braddock fight for Joe Lewis was it was a weird one.
1: Yeah. So uh, originally, obviously, with Lewis losing the title, uh, losing the chance to fight for the title, which um, chances were he was gonna, you know, he would have beaten. Joe uh, James J. Broderick. That's that's basically the the deception. So um, Joe Lewis uh, obviously was in the papers. I mean, we talk about social media today and how bad it is. I'm telling you now, you read some of them awful press write-ups. Uh, they were fucking ruthless with uh, uh, to Joe Lewis and some of the stuff they were putting out there. You know, just just on the lighter side, was, they were basically calling him a fabricated champion. He was a myth. You know, all these people that followed him, he wasn't as great as what people felt. Um but in the end obviously Schmeling did sign a contract. He'd come back to champion, he'd come back. They actually um held uh, the actual fights in cinemas in, in Germany for him to watch. But before the fight they didn't give him a flipping chance there, they barely put anything in a newspaper. So it was quite ironic, you know, how, how they how they spaced it and, and the proper ground that was used behind Schmeling. But, you know, he signed a contract. He was he, there was actually video footage, um, and proof that Schmellin sat there to sign a contract to fight product. And it was going to happen, but i accepted it. Uh, but what happened was, was that Mike Jacobs, who was a very clever man, um, you know, he, he he had a right for the MSG. He always had that venue as he wanted, as he pleased. Um, basically, not going to go too much into it, but it was all to do with the baby's milk money, uh, a charity, that, that the MSG got rid of because of the depression, um, and he took it on. So he always asked the, the, uh, the MSG if he needed it. Um, he was a very astute guy, very clever, powerful, and he influenced those within his circle, whether it be, you know, within the press, the American press, because he had contacts, and you know, he was doing like little whispers out there to say that if Max Mellon gets this fight against Brodick and he wins it, then Hitler will take that title and he will never give it back to us. So from the off, you know, the press—you can imagine what the press was like. You know, everybody was dead against it; they didn't want Brodick to take the fight. And in the meantime, Matt, Mike Jacobs is on the blurry. He's chatting to, to, to Broddock's team and he's giving him all these different offers. He's turning it down, turning it down. And in the end, he gives him an offer that basically Broddock just cannot refuse. And he says to him, he gives him a big, big purse, uh, which was a, a substantial amount of money. I don't know what it was, but it was a substantial amount of money at the time. And you will also get 10% of Joe Lewis's future fight purchase for the next 10 years. And straight away, he signed a contract. And there you go that was when the fight was made and, and Joe Lewis was ready to fight for a world title and become the first black world champion since Jack Johnson
0: on the back of Braddock's head, but no making a mistake, it wasn't far enough back to be out of line, it was right over the ear I should say under the ear, and there Braddock came up with a right uppercut that missed, Lewis is back out of the way in time now Braddock's in centre of the ring and Lewis gave him, and Braddock round. down yeah. The new world. Cup.
2: In well, he certainly did do that on the 22nd of June 1937. He went in there and stopped Jim Braddock in their bout to become the heavyweight champion. He stopped him in round number eight and becoming the heavyweight champion. So that was significant because obviously, basically, swerved having to fight Max Schmeling due to the fact that the you just explained there that the way things had been taken over and the way they was able to 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 swerve it to, to a favorable position for them and understand. So they did it because there was reasons behind it. So Joe Lewis becomes heavyweight champion 22nd of June 1937. So before we get the smelling fight, we get victories over Tommy Farr, Nathan Mann and Harry Thomas, which leads into 1938. And again, politically at this time, things are becoming pretty grim in Germany I think at this point I could be wrong and I think we were talking about it a little bit earlier I'm pretty sure at this point they've actually started to take over Austria and it wasn't long before Poland was next on the horizon but in the interim, things were getting pretty grim for, for Jewish people over in Germany at this point. Persecution was already starting to happen, you know, even on the streets at this point. It, it didn't get, obviously, as bad as what it got later into the Second World War. But this was the beginning of it all really. They got 1938 leading into 1939. And obviously, again, Max Schmeling was the puppet. He was the, the, the way we're putting him as the face of the nazi party because he was the boxer he was the nazi boxer but he wasn't a part of the party but yet they used him they totally used Max schmeling for propaganda reasons and it's it's it was so sad to sort of sit back and watch on on how they used him at the time and they didn't really put him in a very good position because it was kind of like look you do what we're telling you to do otherwise (laughs) that's the end of you (laughs) Yeah. You know that 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 you kind of put in that position where it's like you do you do this for us, otherwise we'll finish you off simple as that, and you know they gave him this sort of lavish lifestyle as a result of it, and I think it must have been very difficult for Schmeling at the time because he could see that there was these things were going on in his country, but yet he couldn't sit there and say anything about it, or he kept silent about it because he didn't want to. he didn't want sort of admit that these things were going on because you know that would have completely put him in a very very difficult position and god knows what what would have happened to him at that period of time but this led in nicely to the world heavyweight title fight between these two you know it was an anticipated rematch of course because obviously joe lewis had been knocked out in the first fight and it wasn't then just about revenge for joe lewis this was about Country versus country. This was about the Nazis versus the Americans. This was more than just a fight. This was the whole hopes of a nation was riding on this particular fight for Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeling too. And I can't probably give justice to how significant this fight was for political reasons i probably can't unless you go and sit and watch the documentaries that are out there it's, it's difficult for me to really describe how much of a significant fight this was for boxing for boxing history and, and obviously as part of the propaganda and political side of things it was huge absolutely huge so leading up to the fight with joe lewis after he beat him in 1936 then beat harry thomas ben ford and steve dudas leading into this fight for the world heavyweight title against Joe Lewis on the 22nd of June 1938. People think that I'm going to the rank gun shy. Why should I go to the rain gun show when Smell is two years older and I'm two years smarter in boxing? So it was the, the lead up to it was huge. The national newspapers were all over it. <clears throat> Joe Lewis was, was, was given all this pressure by the Americans. You know, there's a few good clips of interviews out there from Joe about about how significant this fight was leading up to the particular fight. He wasn't much of a talker, Joe Lewis, and you'll see that from watching some of the interviews and the documentaries. And you know, he had a lot of difficulties growing up. People some of his friends say that he was a, a bit of a slow learner and, you know, he, he had difficulties with certain things in life. They they started to get better as time went on, of course. But when you watch some of the interviews back he's very sort of monotone. There's not a lot of enthusiasm or expression in, in the way he sort of speaks like some of the characters you see in in the generation we live in but you know one thing was for sure is that he wasn't just doing it for, for himself to get revenge he was doing it for the whole nation
0: it's june 22nd 1938 joe lewis defends his world heavyweight championship against former title holder max schmeling the only man who has ever defeated the champion here are the fighters signing for their epic rematch just two months ago
2: i'm gonna be in the best of shape and i'm
0: sure they're gonna be a very good fight I'm happy that I have the chance again to fight for the title. And I hope the best man may win. The stage is set for their historic rematch.
1: Absolutely. And, and you're right. You can't even... It is no. We could sit here we a blue in the face and try to express to people just how big this fight was. And, and it was, you know, the way these two guys were perceived. And you had, you know, you had Smelling, who was, obviously, you know, he was the face of the Nazi party. And then you had, obviously, uh, Joe Lewis, who had who had first originally become sort of like the voice of, of, sort of the, the black community that you know that you know they were they were having difficult times themselves you know they weren't even able to vote you know they they were segregated when they went into to the army it was you know the racial tensions were high but what the second fight brought was in actual fact that it, it brought um the whole nation the whole nation sort of got behind yeah. jonah because of what was happening in germany um you know i think even in the documentary mentioned only the most die-hard racist would have gone schmelling if he was an american guy um and you know it was he was you know it it, it, the, the, it was just huge i mean the fact that germany now you know the things they were saying they were hyping up Max schmeling and uh you know they they obviously felt that he was going to go out there and do the job and they actually broadcasted the fight on air which is which is something new as well but um you know The one thing I did want to mention was even in 19, 1936 in, in the Olympics in Berlin, um, the Americans were actually going to pull out, they were going to boycott it because of what was happening in Germany. It was actually Max Smelling that went over and spoke to the USOC and literally on behalf of Germany convinced them in a, in a very narrow vote for the Americans to go. In actual fact, Jesse Owens went out and won four gold medals over there as well, who was a friend of Joe's. And um, you know, again, with Joe, that if anything, he even said once that that sort of that 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 made him feel good again because he was so down. And sort of seeing a friend of his become another star for, for the Black Americans, it, it was huge for him, and it inspired him to want to make sure that he doesn't make the same mistakes. I mean, in training, he, he was in the first fight, he, he was doing, he was, I think, he was golf, he was playing golf more than actually training because he thought he was just going to beat So you know, he got himself tuned in for this fight, and he knew he had this whole nation behind him, and there, it it was just, the the whole, you know, even the crowd in attendance, and across, you know, everybody listened to it on their radios, I mean, the fans even said, everyone was on their house, or sitting on their doorstep with a radio, and everyone's tuned in, they're all in the bars, and people that don't drink and go to bars were there, you know, they were there in thousands to listen to this fight, and you know that literally, it was huge. It was probably the biggest fight since Jack Dempsey when he fought. um George, yeah, so, G- George Carpenter. Yeah. So yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so yeah, it was. It was. It was massive. And this was, you know, two nations against each other. And to be the, the craziness of it all was that yeah, these two guys, Joe Lewis, as you say, he's very kind and sort of quiet guy and then you had Max Schmelin, who enjoyed sort of mingling with the powerful, but he was quite a nice, level-headed fella. So yeah, these two guys, just, just the enormous amount of pressure that they must have felt going into that ring. The pressure you feel with just your fans in attendance, let alone two nations. And, uh, you know, he it was, it was always fighting for America, and that was how the Americans see it. They see it as, this is Lewis going to try and prove that, you know the Germans can be beaten and that was that was that was the motto that was the idea and that was what that, you know that's what got him the extra fans you know he was there. he wasn't just the black americans it was everyone, as I say, and it was just it just the, the magnitude of this fight was so big.
2: He certainly bloody did deliver on this particular one. Round number one. Round number one. This was the the, the, the quick, one of the quickest world heavyweight title fights. I'm sure specifically there is one that's quicker than it, but it was very quick. <laughs> considering they went 12 rounds in the first bout, and considering he did a bit of a number on Joe in that first bout with that right hand, you would think maybe that the nerves would have been there, that the doubt would have been there, but it was just like all doubt had been erased from Joe's mind and it was all about the nation on his shoulders the weight of the world the actual cartoon depiction of this particular fight was was quite interesting to see if you go back and look at the sort of the, the cartoon news clipping that's been put out there, it's basically a picture of the world, uh, a big globe on the on, on the sort of shoulders of Joe Lewis going in there against Max Schmeling and, and that's how significant people perceived it as, the fact that there was people in bars constantly everywhere listening to radios wherever they could listen to them, the streets of New York, the streets of America were absolutely dead as a doornail because everybody was there tuning in to the broadcast over the radio because this was it it was over the radio they didn't have the the actual live tv to watch it the back there and then remember this is 1938 so it's a completely different period of time so this was huge in terms of everybody needing to see what was going to happen in this particular fight or in their case listen to and everybody being there in the first round Joe Lewis was able to capitalise on that first round. Immediately, he came out very similar to the way he did in the first smelling fight. But this time, he came out with that undeniable confidence that he'd previously had before losing to Max Mellon ironically and, and the way he went out there uh, and did a number on Max Mellin, stopping him in that first round he, he dropped him and then he got up Max Mellin and then he dropped him again and then he got counted out and that was the end of the fight in the first round and it was the win that humanity at this point in time needed not just the USA but the world, the world needed this victory over Max Schmeling and over the Germans because of what was going on over in Germany at that point in time, massive massive win and, and one of the most for me underrated victories in boxing history
0: Again, a right to the body, a left hook a right to the head, a left to the head a right, Schmeling is going down body held to his knees and Schmeling is down, Schmeling is down, the count is four, it, and he's up, and Lewis right and left to the head, a left to the jaw, a right to the head, and Donovan is watching carefully, Lewis measured him, right to the body, a left up to the jaw, and Schmeling is down, the count is five, five, six, seven, eight, the men are in the ring, the fight is over, Technical
1: knockout, Max is beaten in one round. Oh, absolutely! It really was. It was, you know, the way Lewis. I mean, it was. It was a beautiful victory. I mean, the way he finished him off. I mean, that body shot. I mean, people say that first knockdown. I mean, he hammers him with one, and then he hammers him again, and then it's literally right on the side. And and you do they slow it right down. You actually see Schmelling literally yelping with pain. Uh-huh, how much that that affected him and people actually sort of ringside saying he screamed like a girl he was that big that that shot to the body and you know, to swelling credit he got back on his feet and he did try to carry on he did got that he even said i got up too quickly um he got put down again uh the second time um and then he again i think he, he, he wrote i think it was after like a count of three or four he's back on his feet again and then in the end it was just uh way he, 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 he He landed a big right to the head, and and that that put him down. And and one thing that didn't make me laugh as well was that Schmelin's corner threw in the towel into the ring. (laughs) The the, the white towel lands on the ring, and the uh, referee, Arthur Donovan, literally picks up and lobs it. (laughs) Because at the time in America, a white towel didn't mean nothing. So he picked up and just thrown it back out of the ring. And he sort of just hung on the ropes. You can see (laughs) on the footage, it's smelling sort of on the floor. And then his caller come in, or I think it might be even one of the assistant referees or the counter came in to say, no, that no, it's finished. And then eventually he stopped the fight. But, you know, it was even a, a beautiful article saying how, like, the way that towel sort of slumped on the ropes and the way Smelly was slumped in the ring, it was almost like, you know, a mirror image of each other. And, you know, it was, uh, it was just beautiful for for, uh, for 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 America and, for, for you know, for, for those that weren't, even for us, I, I, I don't know, we don't read too much of what a fan would have been like listening on the radio over here in England, for instance, on this island, but I'm sure it would have been pretty much the same. I mean, the actual police commissioner shut 30 blocks in Harlem just to to let everybody party and it was blacks and whites, you know, it was in a segregated thing, everybody celebrated together and, and even the police, the, 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 the New York police commissioner said, you know, that this is their, this is our night and let them celebrate and, you know, they closed off 30 blocks and there was one great quote where he says, "There never was a heart that there never was a, a night like that in uh, in Harlem last night. Take a dozen Christmases, a score of New Year's Eve, a bush of July Fourth, and maybe, yes, maybe you get a faint glimpse of the idea." And and they were literally out partying for hours. I mean, everybody. There was a guy talking about it. he got so drunk he would never been so drunk before. He walked into the women's toilets. It was just yeah it get the, the feeling of, of just the joy that the whole nation felt and um, and uh you know as i say it, it's able to be expressed more in a, in a documentary and you watch it but uh yeah a, a, an absolutely great night for joe and, and it basically made him a superstar in america an absolute and the best a uh, heavyweight boxer at that time and, and, and has got on to become the, one of the greatest ever.
2: For the first time, blacks and whites, even in the deep south, had rooted with all their hearts for the same guy.
0: Right after Joe Lewis's victory, we got to work ahead of time. And I will say this for this fellow where I worked. He says, well, looks like your man won. I said, he sure did, didn't he? He says, maybe that will teach Hitler a lesson
2: certainly has, and I think as we touch into the aftermath of of this significant fight and and how it led into the careers of both men, for Joe Lewis, obviously, we know his career. It was a very storied career. He'd obviously get drafted into the U.S. Army as part of the Second World War, which obviously started uh, just a year later in 1939. So in that time, he did actually defend the title on numerous occasions, numerous times, and this was... This was sort of where this is where the whole bum of the month club came from because he's he's <laughs> fighting all the time you know he's constantly fighting guys who people wouldn't define as as great fighters at that period of time but that's what he was doing he was going out there and he was fighting guys who were saying oh yeah he's fighting another guy who, who potentially wouldn't have matched up to any fighter of any era but he did and he went out there and he competed through 1940, nineteen forty nineteen thirty nine nineteen forty forty one. Forty-two, uh, and then forty-four, and then forty-six post-war. But during that period of time, he actually went in the ring with some real notable names in the aftermath of this particular fight, leading in to to toward sort of the back end of his career, where obviously you know he's getting a bit older, he's aging, and and the sad part about it was something you touched on a bit earlier: the fact that you know the the whole deal with the Jim Braddock world title situation you know 10 percent of his fight purse is going to to jim braddock alone you know meant that he was having issues with obviously tax paying tax tax evasion you know struggling to make ends meet even though he was the guy that was the world champion and goes down as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time the struggles he had to endure as a result of being a world champion in that period of time is is so sad to see. And the documentaries really put a lot of emphasis on the aftermath of this particular fight. But he did end up sharing the ring with Jersey Joe Walcott beating him twice. He lost to Hazard Charles and eventually ended his career in 1951, losing to the up-and-coming Rocky Marciano in what was a complete passing of the torch guard. Joe Lewis was 37, Rocky Marciano was 28 at the time. Rocky Marciano beats him in eight rounds. And it was so sad because Rocky Marciano had idolised Joe Lewis throughout his earlier days and going into his professional career, so much so that when he beat Joe Lewis, he actually went into the back, into the locker room and and started crying, really upset that he he had to go out there and, and do that to someone who he considered to be his idol.
1: Oh yeah, and and that was a huge you know i think I think for uh for Joe Lewis he he uh he shouldn't have been fighting, uh quite simply and and I think that's the problem with Rocky. I mean he even you know as you say he did he idolised him as as did many fighters, many, many fighters. I mean he, even Sugar Ray Robinson carried uh Joe Lewis's gym bag once to the gym before he even knew he was gonna become a, a boxer even said. Um you know, this, is, this guy was he was a nice guy. A lot of people had time for him. And he would give you his last dime. I mean, many people said that. He, had, he was a nice, nice guy. And, and you know, I mean, the, the one fight I have seen following the Swenna fight, is, is the Billy Conn fight, the first fight, is, is an absolute brilliant fight. It really is a brutal finish. And, and a left hook that ends the fight. But Billy Conn was outstanding that night. A Swenna fight would encourage anybody to go back and look at if you wanted to, which is also on YouTube. Um, and then, obviously, with we've, we've obviously Pearl Harbor, which happened in '41, you know, from that he actually did the two, the two charity events: one for the Navy and one for the Army. One against Buddy Bear, which Max Max's brother, and one against Abe Simon. And it was actually those two fights in particular where he raised forty-seven thousand for one and thirty-six thousand dollars for another. But because he had signed the check in his name, although he didn't take a single, uh, he didn't take a one dollar from it. He literally fought for free. The IRS said that because it was in his name, he, he evaded tax. So from that point, he's always having to to, to pay off his taxes. Um, and uh, so that's where they said that you know he owed this certain amount of $100,000. Obviously, 10 years up until 1947, he's having to pay 10% of his white purses to James J. Broderick. Also, to do with that, another part of it was Roxburgh and Black. In a long-term contract they had with Joe Lewis, half of his purse, was taken between them two to split. So if you think about it, Joe was doing the fighting and becoming this huge name and this massive star. But he got Roxburgh and Black, who was two sort of other promoters away from uh, Jacobs, was taking a share half. So half of his purse and then split between them. Ten percent of that purse was also going to Broderick. Who knows what was going to Jeff to Jacobs as well? Literally, he was fighting for nothing. And and it all stems from the fact that he fought in a charity, two charity events and the team around him so you know everybody else was cashing in other than joe and it continued it was like a vicious cycle it was even one point he actually owed a hundred thousand dollars worth he paid a hundred or he owed a hundred thousand dollars worth of taxes in a single year alone you know how the hell are you supposed to pay that especially towards the end of your career and just had to continue to fight and and it's sad it really is considering he went to, you know, they even the Americans used him as a symbol to get black Americans involved in World War II. So, you know, they he was used by America, and yet they just continued to take from him. Uh, I mean, he had to even fight, he went into wrestling, you know, to, just to get some extra money. And from that, he ended up getting a, I think it was a, something to do with the heart muscles that sort of messed up his, it messed him up, basically, he was able to continue fighting. So... You know it was just it was terrible the way he was treated, considering how much of a great he was.
2: yeah, and then you've got to look at the contrasting scenario for Max Schmeling after this. obviously, he would go back to Germany with his tail between his legs and a whole nation who absolutely hated the fact that he'd lost Joe Lewis. Not only the fact was Joe Lewis an American, he was black. And that was significant. You know, this was an era of time where segregation was already difficult as it was. But then when you had a particular, you know, government sort of political party who were, were the most racist mofos on the planet... You know, this, is, this is what you don't need you don't need to come home and be the, the, the brunt of all that frustration and that anger from the Germans because obviously the majority of Germany had been convinced by the Nazi party that they were the superior race they were the superior to everybody in the world so for him to then have to go home with his tail between his legs it wasn't a great end for him really because obviously he would then go back uh, he would actually win the European heavyweight title uh, in 1939 but then wouldn't fight again until 1947 and 48 he picked up three victories out of five fights between 47 and 48 and retired in 1948 but I think significantly for him and for Joe Lewis, they both suffered these injustices in their own career in different ways, really. One was used and abused by his own country for, for, for various reasons and, and lost all this sort of financial gain that he'd made going into the ring and the other was used for political propaganda uh, and then totally discarded and thrown to one side once they'd used and abused what they needed from him. And what was really, really nice to know, you know, watching these documentaries and then looking back on, on the significance of this particular fight is whilst these two would seemingly be the biggest enemies and in such a significant fight in boxing history they turned out to be the best of friends when they did a this is your life in 1960 with joe lewis they brought max Schmeling out and they'd not seen each other since the fight they'd not seen each other for what 20 years maybe a little bit more i think it was 25 years or something like that and, yep. you know, the the sort of respect and the love they had between them was unbelievable. And and just other little points, like, obviously, eventually, Joe Lewis would go on to pass away in, I think it was 1980 or 1981, he passed away. It was actually Max Schmelin who paid for the cost of the funeral of joe lewis because joe lewis was that skin and had no money because of everything we've just been speaking about that max schmeling actually went out of his way to do that for him because of the love and respect they had for each other and you wouldn't have thought that given the 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 ring that they shared together the propaganda that they was both had to be a part of or was forced to be a part of and it was just unbelievable to sort of see how such a bad situation can turn something in such in such a positive way.
1: It really was lovely to hear that, and uh, you know, I suppose for them, I mean, the only time they ever met each other was in the ring, and then two two, two decades later, they're meeting on the this is your Life show for Joe Lewis, and and um, yeah, he, he actually ended up. He, I mean, he ended up being becoming quite successful, match When obviously coming back from that second fight, he came back to nothing. No one was there. No one was there to to help him or to congratulate him on anything. He literally just had to to go back to not being this star anymore and just sort of go into it become a normal life. And, and he ended up, I think it was at the Coca-Cola in Germany. I think that was the business he owned or he ran or he managed. Yeah. He ended yeah. up becoming really successful from it and earning a, a good few bob. And, um, you know, so he had himself, he lived, he lived a nice life mm-hmm. um, and there was even, you know, where he wasn't sort of in the limelight and under uh, public scrutiny and sort of uh, the, the the Nazi Party just leaving him be after that. Um, although he did have to fight for for, for, Nazi, for Nazi Germany, after, I believe for a couple of years. But he was again, you know, he was able to adapt. He ended up. There was actually a story where he actually saved uh, two young Jewish boys as well. He sheltered them in his in his property from the Nazi soldiers that were trying to find them, and he saved their lives. And there was uh, the one of the guys was still alive. And he, again, uh, keeps on about his documentary, but he's actually on there, and he's just saying how much you know he just, you know, if it wasn't for Max money he would be dead and, uh, you know, not even God could have saved him type of thing, you know, Max did. So, uh, and he was, you know, he was adored and he was, you know, to be fair, he, you know, he, he was successful and then he, as you say, he had this, this, this next part of his life where he didn't meet Joe and Joe was obviously, you know, he started to become addicted to cocaine and alcohol as well and, and gambling, you know, he was, he was he was having real problems, Joe, and he was struggling badly um, with, with, uh, just trying to get a job and every time we did get any sort of public, uh, sort of, you know, we know we're there to go to a, a, public, a public event, sorry, and they'll um, sort of do s- speeches and talk to people and the, the IRS were there taking his money again. He couldn't, every time he had any earnings it was taken from him and then it wasn't until sort of, it was Caesar's Palace that um, for uh, Joe that he actually become an attraction sort of thing where they would, people would come and see him and he would show people around and that was that was how he ended up living sort of out of his, not, not the rest of his life, but he was, he was able to earn a bit of money from it. And um, But yeah, and, and they become, as you say, and, and smelling it up, paying for his his funeral, because he just still didn't have a pot to piss in. So You know, it's crazy, isn't it, really, what, how it all went. I mean, there is one thing I, I did see, which, which I thought was a great quote from uh, Jimmy Cannon, who's a sports journalist, and he says, uh, this is about Joe Lewis, he said, he's a, he's a great credit to his race, the human race, and I think that just that, that basically puts in perspective exactly what Joe Lewis was about. He was just a nice gentleman guy that was taking absolute liberties out of, and and he died penniless. That's so a shame, but um, yeah, what a great fighter anyway, and what a great legendary night song.
2: It certainly was. I've really, really thoroughly enjoyed this. And the documentaries, as I said earlier at the start of the episode, to go and watch about this, if you want to read or you want to hear a little bit more or watch a little bit more, the PBS, The Fight, Lewis versus Smelling is one of them. It's there on YouTube to watch. You've also got Joe Lewis, An American Hero Betrayed on there. There is a couple of smaller, shorter documentaries on there when you go onto YouTube to watch. But they're very, very good watches. They're really enjoyable watches. And, you know, whilst there's some horrible stuff that we've had, to cover off in this and 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 certain aspects of it that are prominent as part of this story it is it is an enjoyable tale to watch of of two guys that just had a complete respect for each other going in there and giving it their all and, and and giving us two historical nights in boxing history and and this is why I've picked it as a legendary night because of the fact it was so significant for both men in the career and you know when you think of Joe Lewis you think of Max Mellin. that is as simple as that and when you think of Max Schmeling you think of Joe Lewis so the, these two names will always be interlinked to each other uh, throughout the course of boxing and boxing history so for me it was an obvious legendary night that had not been covered uh, for a period of time which was significant for the world and I think this is why it was a great one to pick so if you've enjoyed Enjoyed listening to this episode. Of course, you know what to do. Go and find us on social media, give us a follow, and let us know what you think of it. If you're on Twitter, you can find us at BTR Boxing Pod. If you're on Facebook, it's BTR Boxing Podcast. And if you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher Spreaker, Player FM, or Spotify. Any good available podcasting app out there, you can search for BTR Boxing Podcast, and we will come up on there to follow, subscribe. Let us know. If you want to find more episodes of the legendary Knights series, you can follow the feed and type in on the search bar legendary nights, and you will find around 24 to 25 episodes of all different fights that have been voted for by the users of Twitter and BTR boxing Podcasts page. Please go and let us know what you think about some of the other episodes. If you're listening to something from say six months ago, let us know what you think. We really do appreciate all the feedback and the comments that we get from all the episodes that we do. So This is the end of the episode. We really want to thank you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the tale of Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeling. And right now, Thomas Burns is an open book to
0: Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. No cut by...